0: we reluctantly added the cricket back in because joe grant god bless him um who was the character designer story man and director of dumbo for crying out uh mm-hmm. was at the studio at the time in his in his, in his, in his 80s but he was he, huge i think you're missing a bed without this cricket and we, he kept pushing the cricket on us and we were like no we, don't, we got enough to worry about this Mushu, and so they forced us to put the cricket in. So the way we found to use the cricket was, um, and I'm not answering your question at all, but I found- Oh I no, you're perfectly fine. More, it's a yeah. funny thing. Um, we're like, okay, we'll put the cricket in. What's great about the cricket is he's little, and he's cute and he's earnest mm-hmm. and he doesn't talk. Um, Mushu can talk to him. Mushu can sound out his ideas with this old guy. So it's some place for exposition to go to. Um, but also because the because the cricket's so cute, and he's it allows Mushu to be even worse because Mushu was a new kind of sidekick for us in that he had an agenda that wasn't exactly on the up and up. He was trying to he was using Mulan to get what he wanted, yeah. and he was lying the entire time. So he wasn't a, he was not a nice traditional nice character. He's a con man. Mm-hmm. He's a phony and the fact that like he's got this little dude that's like supporting everything he does kind of helps him it kind of it's the sugar that helps the you know, medicine go down so to speak so that's why we like that's that was how that little pairing came up with came out is we, we were you know and of course there's like, you know, like well what is it it's like it's r2 and c3 that, that's the pairing it's like this one doesn't this one talks and chirps this one this one hears english and interprets it from the audience all sorts of stuff that he had there so but it wasn't i don't believe it was roy disney
1: hey guys it's your host julian this week i sit down with disney and dreamworks animator john sanford we talk pretty in depth about mulan and just how amazing that movie and soundtrack was still one of the best soundtracks out there we also discuss the complexity of working on projects what we both do to combat anger issues john's favorite chris sanders and roy disney stories as well as home on the range and so much more enjoy the show Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to What's My Head podcast. I'm your host Julian today, and joined by Mr. John Sanford. John, how are you, sir? I'm good, sir. Man, I'm so happy to see this. So, like I told you before we started, ladies and gentlemen, John Sanford here was a part of the Mulan and so many other Disney projects. We'll talk to in just a little bit, but specifically Mulan. And I told you earlier, man, I don't know if it was the weed starting to kick in and it was getting to me, if it's the old age, and I'm just getting super, super sentimental in, in my in my later years. Uh, you know, I'll be 33 here in August. Uh, That scene, the arrow scene where Mulan figures out how to use the weights to tie around the post to get the arrow and throw it down. Man, at the end of that song, that song got me. So I would love to know how you got on to Mulan and and, and what was that whole road and journey was like?
0: Uh, Let's see. Well, Mulan was only the second movie I ever worked on, Mm -hmm. which is, um, that's the first thing I got to say. And um, it was a young crew being... What that said, I when I went on to move on, um, I was going on as quote one of more experienced people, um, because the at that point Disney was making so many movies that they the talent was just spread thin. So Chris Sanders was head of story, um, and then I think Bernie Mattinson was on it. Bernie Bernie's still at Disney; he's like in his eighties. Um, I think he was on at the time uh ployd norman was on at the time and then they had um they had a few other story artists um chris williams was on and he had just graduated the training program around the time same time i did so he was relatively the same level of experience dean deblaw was on but dean had just come over from way out Mm -hmm. so this was the first movie dean had boarded on so we were all um, and then there was let's see, Julius Aguimatang was on as well, but he had also just graduated the training program. So it was a bunch. Of, it was like four or five trainees, or fra- just graduated from being a trainee. Yeah. And then Chris Sanders and two, two or three, two vets basically, and um, we were all kind of we were all in our twenties. Um, we were all young. We all had um, various. Uh, different attitude mm. problems <laughs> to, to, not to put a uh, too fine a point on it. Um, I was uh, I was kind of an angry like yelly young man like I'd get really upset and you know, yell in meetings. Uh, Dean was Dean was super quiet and intense but he would state his he'd state his opinion and then he'd, he'd just argue it very calmly like a lawyer um that's terrifying and, by the way uh, yeah, yeah yeah and dean dean had this really he was like this super like like at the time now he's like he's jovial. if you ever talk to dean he's very jovial and he's kind of beardy um, uh, but at the time he had this um he had this really kind of intense kind of look and chris williams is he's like this really tall affable canadian guy who just kind of well you know what i'm going for is this and he just does what you know he'll listen to what What they're telling him, just go over here and do what he wants. Um, (laughs) And then Sanders kind of pulling us together, who was at the time he was like, um, I think Chris was actually younger than you are now when he was head of story on Atlantis. That's so insane. On Mulan. Sorry. Um, Mulan. I'm jumping ahead in my own timeline. Um, So he was a young guy uh sanders was and he's kind of pulling us together and we all re- we all looked up to him because we loved his art and um um i had just you know we were just like super inspired by him um i'd come from hunchback i was a trainee on hunchback and to, at the time they were making they're starting hercules i was getting ready to roll off a of Hunchback. they're making hercules and move on and the one I wanted to work on in the what, you know, walk around the halls, looking at all the artwork, um, I wanted to work on Hercules. Cause yeah. it looked like Hercules was going to be our only opportunity to make a, um, like a big crazy superhero movie. Cause that's what it looked like. Um, it was, you know, Greek gods. And they were like, they were already like, Ron Clements was a huge um, Superman fan. So he was already, like kind of cribbing little ideas from Superman the movie. And um he so I thought this is good. I want to be on that. And so I expressed an interest in that project and uh I got Milan. Yeah. And at the time I was at Milan looked like um looked like it was just going to be another prince and princess thing only set in China. But um the day I got the assignment I just walked around and was looking at the art, looking at the boards. And I realized it was, wasn't was going that way. It mm-hmm. looked like it was gonna be something different. So you know, Sanders came by, dropped off the script and we talked. I went, no, this is actually gonna be pretty darn cool. And so he gave me the script on a Friday. I went and read it back, this is the nineties. So there was a coffee house that was a lot like the one from Friends a block away from where I lived in Valencia, California, called Java and Jazz, Ooh. and uh, <laughs> I got a giant, giant coffee cup that looked probably like this. Only it didn't have Peabody and Sherman on it. Uh, and I, and I, drank, I, I drank coffee all afternoon, and I made loads of notes in the script. I just jumped in with both feet, and it, I saw it as an opportunity to like for that one to be the one. I, I really got my feet wet on, and it was, it was really um, from the very beginning we were it was not an easy movie to make That's the thing I always have to tell people is that it was difficult because there was the um the the thing that people there were two things that a lot of folks wanted to do some people wanted to push a feminist agenda on it, which we didn't want to do mm-hmm. some we the the notes a lot of notes a lot of notes that people would give us is why didn't she well, why, why don't you have the dad train her in secret so can, she can be a super badass warrior woman going into the army? And then we're like, no, where'd she go from there?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so no, we, wanna, we want her to be kind of, you know, the, the thing that Sanders hit upon and uh, we all kind of jumped on with both feet because I, I really think it was, I remember it being Chris's idea. He thought it would be interesting if she was just bad at everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where that came from. And the fact that she's, you know she's not even good at being a girl. And then she's forced to, and then she takes her dad's place and goes to the army. and so now she's she's terrible at being a girl. and we made we went out of a way to make her make sure that she's not and yet she's not a tomboy. How's she going to survive in the army? So there's lots of stakes there. So I remember the whole thing about the the arrow, How do you reach the arrow? And I think, Sanders came up. It was Sanders that pitched the idea that, like, he comes out with a big, you know, Shane comes out with a big box and this is discipline. This is, and and so none of them can do it. And she's the one that figures out if you wrap them around, she can use them as a, as a, as a leverage and climb up the, climb up the thing. Um, but yeah, that's where that kind of, that came from. And the fact that she was the one that figured it out. Out of all those guys, she's the only one that did it, and she she used it as a way to. Uh, and then, um, from there, you see, you know, when we do the we do the training montage, and every every movie, yes, we know every movie has a training montage. I don't think they were in nineteen ninety four or five when we were making that. They weren't as ridiculously overdone and overplayed <laughs> as they are now, but. Um, we wanted to show real growth of not just her, but everybody around her. Yeah. And um, so there's a lot, that sequence does a lot of heavy lifting. And, but for her character, I think that was, um, that was one of the big touchstones is just seeing, but we had to, and that was one of the other things is we had to see her fail, we had to see her be bad at things. Yeah. And it's one of the things that when you're making a female character, well she can't be bad at things you're making her look dumb Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and we're like no she's not dumb she's just clumsy she can be clumsy and she can be awkward without being stupid Mm -hmm. and that was a that was a difficult argument with a lot of the folks on the movies they didn't want to see it and it's especially hard when you're it's one of the hard things when you're doing a female character uh oh there there there's a tendency to want that character to be idealized it's like well you're want to be a good example for women it's like well a great example for women is to see this character like be like everyone else and then excel and yeah. excel and by her own merits not be perfect right out of the box so mm-hmm. that's i that was that's a long way around to try hopefully answer your
1: question <laughs> yeah, I, like i said i like i the great thing about this podcast and this format and this this medium, <clears throat> excuse me, is it's it's not like we have to come in here and get sound bites. We don't have to right clip, clip, clip. I like, I never, I can tell within the first five minutes how long this episode can go. Generally, I try to tell everybody it's going to be at least an hour um, because right. I feel like an hour at minimum flushes out a lot of things. I've had interviews. I mean, my Linda Semensky episode and my Dave, uh, my David. Stephen Cohen, so the writer, the head writer, excuse me, um, of Courage the Cowardly Dog are probably my two longest episodes. And okay. it's not just recorded time. I was like before and after, like when we do the little pre-interview type of thing between both of them, they were at three to three and a half hours a pop. I think the recorded time was like two and a half hours for most of them. The most recent one was Linda Szymanski, I think almost pushes three hours. Um, And then we, like I said, we chat before and we chat after the, after we uh, hit pause and stuff. Um, But I like seeing how stories evolve, how people come in, because there's a name you mentioned, and we'll circle back to Mulan in just a second, but there's a name you mentioned that uh, I don't think gets one enough credit and two gets brought up enough. Uh, Chris Sanders. Phenomenal. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Sanders is the reason we have Lelo and Stitch. I mean, yeah. I can't I can't remember, was it his idea? Uh fuck, what was it? The um in the Lion King sequence shit. I heard it on the Bancroft Brothers podcast. So it's not something I went and researched, but I heard it and then I started watching these videos. But he did something like they were having trouble with some scene in Lion King and they just walked by Chris or Chris was like, Hey, can I have this? I can take it. I think it's the um was it the scene? can't wait to be king maybe i don't know but there was a pivotal scene in lion king that uh that, that some of the animators were having issues with i'm like we'll just have chris bring it up and i heard it on the the bancroft brothers podcast and for the life of me i can't recall right now it'll come back as soon as we hit pause or as soon as we hit stop on this one i remember exactly what i'm trying to talk about I'm like fuck man you sounded like an idiot babbling. and like i said this was great about the podcast we can flesh out ideas nothing has to be perfect most of the time we can fix this shit and post john is really what i'm getting at but neither here great. nor there man Uh, But yeah, Chris Sanders does not get enough credit. I mean, the man is a genius. I I love hearing stories. Whenever I can watch an interview on him, uh, it's phenomenal. Uh, But what you said, you guys looked up to Chris. What's crazy is you guys are 20 years old in your 20s, such a young age. And Chris is a young cat at that time, too. Um, I mean, I think that's why Disney and I don't want to say youth is the key, because you need veterans, and you need experience when it comes to anything. But when you've got that young, hungry, hungry, and I think that's what a huge, huge, uh, huge deal it was and why the Disney animation renaissance happened. I mean, you guys brought back animation, classical animation um, out of the dark ages. And a lot of people say it was because of the Black Cauldron. But, uh, you know, they said that was the almost the death nail in animation for Disney for sure. But, um, when you guys brought it back, I, I've had so many of the of you guys on so far, like Aaron Blaze a couple of weeks ago. I've had you know, you, um, for the life of me, I can't remember the other people, but it, what I noticed is this the, the age was so young, you guys were so passionate, you guys were so fiery, you guys were ready to go at such a young age. And one thing I kept hearing was. You guys never said no, right? Like, can you do this? Everybody always said yes, right? And you guys generally figured it out later. I I hear it so many times, fake it till you make it type of thing. We're going to figure this shit out, right? So long-winded way of saying, hey, John, what's your favorite Chris Sanders story, man? You got one, like whenever you think of Chris Sanders, you got one during the production of Mulan. You got a favorite Chris Sanders story?
0: Uh do i have one chris sanders story or do i have so many that we could just fill a podcast talking about chris what's sanders? your favorite chris sanders um, the one that's pertinent to um the one that's pertinent to milan and it's the one that i one of the reasons why i credit him so much is that he's the first guy that like first of all he's um, he's incredibly talented and he's incredibly brilliant but one of the things he'll do is he'll turn he would continually turn to us and we were younger, like I was 26 or 27. Chris Williams is the same age I am. Um, Dean is younger than we are. And um, he's so like asking us. And what was interesting is that one night, like we, there used to be a, in Valencia, there was a record store that, um, and if if the name comes to me, I'll, I'll be able to pull it. Um, there's, a, there's actually an animation writer that we bought most of our CDs from that used to work there. Um, <laughs> And uh, it was called Tempo Records. And um, Sa- Sanders and I are both habitual CD buyers. I think <laughs> still to this day. And um, I stopped there after work and I was looking for CDs. And I heard, oh, hey, John. And I look up and he's, he's there and he's got like a stack of CDs. And I said, so what's going on? And he said, oh, I had to I, shoot the thrill from AT, ACDC was in my head. I had to hear it. And then I'm also looking for some music. I'm supposed to board this sequence where Mulan fights the Shan Yu and I'm trying to figure out and, and he and I um, started just talking ideas standing, standing in the soundtrack section of Temple Records. I've got a stack of CDs like this. He's got a stack of CDs like that. And we just start talking through ideas. And um, the thing he kept saying is, I don't want to... You know, in the script, they they have him just falling into a big, big fire pit. And I don't want to do that. I want to have her face him face to face, and and we're just talking through ideas like that. And um, we kind of just beat it. A lot of the ideas that we talked about, just standing there in temple records, wound up wound up in there. I said, wouldn't it be great if she if he reached up through the through the ceiling and tried to grab her? And that's in there. Um, he decided he wanted to try and blow her up. I blow him up blow up the Shan Yu, like with the fireworks and that wound up in the movie so that's one the fact that we um he wh- he tr- like thought to ask young untested on unt- tr- people talent that nobody else in the studio trusted yet for ideas and then we will just listen and talk and talk through them seriously with 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 you and i think he still does that um, he's on. A, he, I know he's on a movie at DreamWorks, and his crew is really young. And uh, he's constantly like tr- trying to pump them for ideas and get them get them involved. Um, what was the other one? Um, <laughs> there's all sorts of them. Uh, I'm trying to think of one that would be there was he's the first guy I ever met who um and who would actually pull an Mm all-nighter you know you hear people talk about like oh I was I was up till three on this I was up I remember once leaving at six or seven and then coming back the next day and he was wearing the same clothes he had on from the night before and hadn't and literally hadn't slept and um because he needed to get this idea he he needed he felt the need to pitch this idea and i think it was um he's i think it was mushu's yeah it was when mushu mushu awakened that whole thing
1: i live
0: yeah that whole thing so he boarded up just a very basic concept board of that um and um it was like it and back then we didn't do like like now every sequence is like 12,000 drawings and everything's animated. They were beautiful. It was these drawings that were full of all this personality and perfectly, perfectly rendered drawings. <laughs> the, the way, only the way Chris can draw them. But everything was there from Mushu being awakened. Mushu is the guy who awakens the guard, the, the, the ancestors, Mushu's, um, Mushu wants to be the one that like, it's like, okay, I get it, I'll go and then they laugh at him you you your your misguidance with funding disaster yeah thanks a lot all of that was there all of it was in there um and including the bit where he goes to wake up the stone dragon and breaks it up all of that was there and that's the reason why he has to go but he did that in the night he literally stayed up all night and boarded it and then the next day was and then after he pitched it like at eight at nine in the morning then had to continual work day and I remember him coming into my office and like I'm drawing and I feel I feel like tapping on my shoulder and I turn around and he goes I need to give this to you and he gave me this it's this this drawing of this tyrannosaurus on a skateboard with its mouth wide open and it says tyrannosauruses and and I can't remember the the phrase was was two words that just like completely incongruous Tyrannosaurus is in love or something like that. He goes, it was, I like, and I said, thanks, man. And Because it, it's this really cr- crazy Chris Sanders drawing. And he, went, and he turns to walk away and he's just, I just feel I need to give more. And then he just runs out of it. And he just ran out of the cubicle. He was clearly out of his mind. Yeah, sleep deprivation. deprivation. Yeah. Yeah. And he was, part of it was, I know he was trying to be, he was being silly and just trying to see if he could freak people out. But I think part of him was, there was also, I think he was. There was a little bit of sincerity there where he was just like a little out of his head. Yeah, just. just <laughs> I feel I need to give more, and then of course there's him running up and down the hall like screaming in that Stitch voice before it was a Stitch voice, yeah. just <laughs> trying to make people, trying to upset people.
1: That's so great, man. Thank you for sharing those stories. I I really appreciate it. Uh, Like I said, we haven't had too much Chris Sanders talk on here. I I think you're the first guest um, because I've been waiting. I've been waiting for a select few to come on here and and talk about that. And and speaking of that, that, that whole scene I told you about the uh, I'll make a man out of you scene. We're going to circle back for just a second. Uh, Do you know what World of Warcraft is, John? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I used to play pretty heavy, like pretty heavy back when I was still in the military and stuff, Uh, especially towards the last couple years I was in. uh, You know, the wife was wife was working overnight. I was working during the day. You know, we had our oldest son at that time. You know, he'd be in bed by like seven o'clock for some reason. And I wish I could do this as a kid when I was a kid. Uh, Looking back on all the times I fought naps, I regret that now. Right. So uh, just don't get sleep as it is. But, um, my, my oldest son, this, this little, this little shit, man, he needs like 10 to 12 hours of sleep or just to get his beauty sleep. And I'm like, dude, I don't know how you can sleep so long. I get three hours and I'm fine. Fine. in air quotes, I get three, four hours, you know, and then, uh, I I'm, I'm off to the races, but I think he gets it from my wife. Cause my wife could sleep quite a bit. Um, not calling her lazy. So and she listens to every other one of these episodes. So don't take that the wrong way. <laughs> right. But, uh, but uh, she, he definitely gets it from her. But uh, So when he would go to sleep and she would go to work, I would just sit there and play. And uh, there's there's this whole aspect of online gaming that you have to you know, make friends, to do quests, to do dungeons and do raids and everything like that. And there's a whole reason I'm telling you this, I promise, and I'll get to it in just a second. But uh, I, I had Mulan on in the background, right? This is before Disney Plus and all the streaming and stuff. So I had my DVD in and I was listening to it. I guess this is 2015ish, right? I'm in Virginia and then I'll make a man out of you scene comes on. So I'm singing it as I'm typing to my friends talking shit, calling people assholes like hey, move dickhead, you're not supposed to be there. And then my I'm mic'd up, right? So I'm people are catching the lyrics, right? In the song. They're like, "Are you listening to Mulan?" and I'm like, "No, I'm not." Yes, I am listening to Mulan. I'm watching it too. That's why I died. I didn't want to say that because I did not want anybody to yell. Like, no, we get it, man. It's a good movie. It's a good song. It's it's, everybody was getting amped up from this song, right? So imagine, right, you've got a headset on and people from all over the world, while you're trying to come together as these guys are in, in the sequence to train and get better and become a unit, we're doing the same thing virtually, right? Fifteen years after this movie comes out and we're doing this to world of war i have a very sad life john i'm sorry we're doing this to world of warcraft right Mm -hmm. so i start thinking every all these guys and these girls are singing this shit right and i start thinking i was like man i wonder if i can use this as guild recruitment right so Mm -hmm. guild recruitment you try to go out there and find new people to come in to fill slots for tanks and healers and dps and everything so i start I start taking lines from I'll make a man out of you. Right. So I wrote a couple of them down here uh, and I would turn those into funny catchphrases or funny slogans, like war slogans type of thing, like trying to get guild recruitment or war recruitment. So we, I used quite a bit of strength of a raging fire and quite a bit of force of a great typhoon. You have no idea how many people join specifically just so they can say, I joined the guild that was using Disney references and there's guild chat whenever you're going. So everybody all over the world on your server, right? There's guild chat, there's trade chat and all this stuff. I set, this is tr- this is before stuff was really going viral. I set that thing on fire. There were people quoting the lines, quoting movies. That's all you could see. And every once in a while, you're like, please, somebody shut the fuck up about Mulan. I'm ty- I want to buy something. I don't want to sit here and look at this stuff. So then they would bash that guy and they'd go back to quoting the movie or quoting the songs and stuff like oh, that. So you guys had a really big part in in me meeting one of my best friends in the world, Hunter Fuller. He's a listener too. Hunter Fuller. Uh, because I got him on the Raging Fire one, he sent me a, a secret message type of thing, and he gave me the rest of the lyrics for that one. So you guys are responsible not only for making my childhood, but making me a new friend that I've had for pff, almost 10 years now, eight years somewhere around there. So great. thank thank you for that, man. I appreciate that's it. Great, that's good to um, hear. Yeah, yeah, man. It's it's weird what 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 Disney or what animation can really do. It brings people together. You guys bond over it, especially family movies like Disney movies. Everybody goes and has a good time. There's something there for men, women, young, old, something there for everybody, man. Right. But getting back to you and Mulan, when this is going on in the production, it, it, you guys are in the thick of it, right? Right. You guys have got two big names as far as the cast. You know, uh, Eddie Murphy being one and... Right. You uh you had a little Peabody and Sherman cup there. So June Foray being the other one, right? And right. I was just talking to Dave Watson on uh Sunday or Saturday, and we he made a show called Time Squad. And there was oh, a yeah. direct influence to Peabody and Sherman. We actually talked about it, and then a couple days later, you you got a cup. This is Peabody. It's weird how all this shit starts lining up, John. Mm-hmm. Right? Um oh, yeah. but but uh did you ever get to meet June Foray? Did you ever get to chat with her or never, talk with her? I never got
0: to meet June. Um, She, like, yeah, I was not privy to most of that. I think the only cast member of, um, the only cast members on the one I met, um, I met, uh, Tony brought in uh, Mm Ming-Na to meet everybody, and she just, like, she was really sweet.
1: I heard she's a really
0: nice lady. Yeah, she's really nice. Um, And so we met Ming-Na, and then um, I met BD Wong really briefly. Yeah, and he's a he's a super cool guy. Um, didn't get to meet anybody else. Didn't get to meet uh, on that movie that I
1: can remember. Um, nope, that's those are the only two. (laughs) That's perfectly fine. I I just I I figured, and I wonder, I wonder, did he ever get to meet the legend herself? Um. Uh, but another another big a big guess from the blast from the past on that one was pat Morita man mr miyagi was the emperor there too that was really cool just going back and looking that's what's so fun and marvel's really instilled that now specifically i know a lot of people don't watch the credits they're just waiting for the you know the the shit what's it called damn i can't think of the marvel trailer The the credit scenes yeah the end credit scenes thank you yeah. john you, you need to be working in animation or film or something like that because you got some inside knowledge here with this vocabulary uh no but everybody just sits through it and then generally once the movie ends everybody's on their phone until the end credit scene gets but i like watching and looking at the credits man that's why i do this podcast yeah. we get to talk to the people that made it because you guys had like i said such a huge influence on culture and people and us and them and it's just crazy seeing all these names pop up man but when this movie is is in production, what is the hardest part specifically for you? I mean, did you have? I'm assuming you're struggling because this is your second movie. You said super young, right? But you guys are super experienced for 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 that 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 age range or that movie that bracket because you're coming off your second one. But what was the hardest part, man, for you working on Mulan? Um, I had a. I think that
0: it was just hard to um i felt uh first of all i had a hard time drawing the characters
2: (laughs) which one was hardest
0: all uh to me all of them were hard i was Mm -hmm. not i uh, coming out of school i wanted to work um i had a super cartoony drawing style and i at the time and i wanted to um uh, do I wanted to do Warner Brothers cartoons mm-hmm. and I was jealous of my friends I'd watch I'd get up on Saturday morning and watch um Dexter's Lab and Powerpuff and those oh, and the and then see my friends names on the credits and say dang it I wish I was there uh, that that was the that was the funny thing I was working on Mulan I was I wanted I would, would, would have rather have been like at cartoon network hanging out with my um my old pals from CalArts and working on that stuff um just because I I think my drawing style tended to be more cartoony. I was a Warner Brothers guy. So
1: well, drawing before you um, get into that, why didn't why did why'd you go the Disney route, if you don't mind me asking?
0: Um they made an offer to bring me in as a story trainee, And gotcha. that's what I really wanted to do. You know, when I whenever I watched Disney stuff and whenever I looked at the um that's the thing, I always liked Disney stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: and um when i do personal things the, the interesting thing is when i do do personal things i do tend to like uh lean into the more emotional dramatic angle but um i always wanted to do like i also love warner brothers cartoons i yeah. love doing wild crazy funny stuff as well um that's that said when I, I my film at cal arts when i put uh my at cal arts my third third year um my film was in the producer's show and um kirk wise and gary Trousdale dale on hunchback specifically like asked to see my portfolio so i submitted it and they hired me to work on hunchback that's how i got to that that's okay. how i got there um and i didn't i don't re- i to be perfectly honest i don't regret that decision at all that's more as, as time went on that became more the place i needed to be yeah um but drawing wise, it was super, you know, back then story art, story drawings could be could be rough. They could be, they didn't have to be on model, but um, I'd look at like Dean Deblock could draw Mulan mm-hmm. and like he, he almost went into comic books. That's how, that's, that's the level his illustrations skills yeah. are at. He could, he could hang with people like um, uh, Chris Pachalo and uh, Mike, Mike Wiringo. Um, people of that level he's at that level as an illustrator same with Chris Williams they both draw at that level me I was you know I wanted to be Ed Benedict at one point so I'm I had to I really really worked hard trying to figure out how to draw that stuff that was a struggle for me Um, and then also I had a um, I had a temper and so just being you know I was really I think I struggled with that a lot too. is just being, trying to get, I, I was always frustrated when um, it seemed like things weren't going our way and I just
1: get really upset. Um. <laughs> well, stay, stay on that for just a second, because one thing that I do like exploring and I, I apologize for keep cutting you off, but there's something that we can actually, okay. we have something we can get out of this too. Uh, I'd suffer from the same thing like I have very very I don't want to say hair trend or hairpin temper but I I do I lose my shit quite often is what I'm getting at John let's just cut right to the fat and just take all the shit all it so what are some of the things that you do because I know there is a lot of people out there that struggle me myself included with the temper Uh, and it's never my temper is never or my anger is never generally directed at anybody. Generally, it's my own shortcomings or my own failings because, perfect example, uh, I'm at work, I fuck a dish up, right? And I get pissed off, right? Now, my sous chef, his name is Jose, but everybody calls him Josie. It's just the name we've always called him. So Josie's like, man, calm down, man. It's not that big of a deal. It's like, no, 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 it's, it's not. I wish people could see why I get angry or why my brain works the way it works, right? Because it's not that I'm mad that uh, I'm having to, to redo it. It's the fact that I let something cloud my judgment or I let something not click up here and it translates to there and then I fuck that up. So I'm more mad at myself or if something's going wrong or something's not, like you said, going, going the way it needs to go. I'm more mad because I don't have the, I guess the fact, not the faculties is not the right word. I don't have the tools that I need to fix that. Mentally in my head, if this makes any sense at all, it's just like all of this crazy shit is going on that's externally, right? I'm trying to take that and absorb it and try to push it my way so I can break it down. And when I don't get it, I get more mad at myself because I'm not able to problem solve the way I should be. When you just take a step back and look at it, like man, I could have handled that a little little differently. Uh, So that's why I get angry more than anything. It's just like fuck, dude. I really wish I would have handled that a little bit differently. I really wish I had the tools. Uh, I've, I've been told. That men have when it comes to emotion, we have the eight box crayons that I had a psychology teacher in college. He's like, women, they have the sixteen colors of crayons, and they have the pencil sharpener back there, so they have all of these these wider range of of emotions. He's like, men, we hungry, men mad, men sad, but men mad and sad because he started talking like we're a fucking caveman. He's like, men mad and sad. He was like. That's generally it. We don't even have those six colors. We've got like three, and that's all we really get. We don't have the tools to really work with this. So I like using that analogy, man. But whenever something like this, we've talked about it when I had Tony Sampson on when it came to depression and suicide. I've never really had anybody that's on that's uh because anger is one of those things that a lot of people, I don't want to say they're emb- I know I get embarrassed when I get super hot and super angry because I just look at them like Fuck, I could have handled that so much better, but it I gotta let my emotions get the best of me. But you specifically. What are some of the things that you would notice as far as temper goes? And what are some of the things you'd notice now that you can kind of, all right, man, I need to recenter. I need to Zen myself. I need to pull myself out of the situation. So what are some of the things you do?
0: Well, the, the thing that, um, one of the reasons why anger was a problem for me is I have, I, and I've been more on, I've been more open about it. I have ADHD Mm -hmm. and one of the components of ADHD is a hair trigger temper because, um, we don't process, because of the manner in which we process information, emotions tend to bottle up, mm-hmm. or you don't, you're, you're feeling so many things at once, and you're getting so much, and so much of your, um, your brain is tr- processing things so fast that your emotions back up on you, and the only way it comes out is, <laughs> yeah,
2: it's
0: just, it's just anger just comes out. So either a lot of times before um a lot of times i'd either feel numb or i'd feel really mad about something or really sad about something and um anger is the one that is kind of the go to was the kind of the go to for mine and so if i'd get frustrated i'd get mad about it if i'd get if i was upset about something it would, it would come out as anger if i if i was having if i was being impatient because somebody wasn't seeing my seeing an idea or somebody was ignoring an idea or somebody was not um doing something the way I thought it should go, or things weren't going, I would just bottle up on it. it. would just bottle up. And some of it's just natural passion. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that, the thing that helped me kind of corral it all at the ripe old age of 54 um, <laughs> is, is you've got it is. I'm is sorry. The, I don't mean
1: to laugh, but I, that just, that, that, <laughs> that one got me, John. I, I appreciate that one. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm, you know, I'm an older guy
0: um but the thing that it it's it's figuring out that other person it's it's figuring out the alternate alternative narrative somebody if somebody's making if an executive is making a decision they're not making that decision to make the movie bad Mm. they're making that decision because they're seeing they're either they're seeing things that you can't see yeah many times (laughs) um they're seeing they're dealing they're um They've also got. They're also. They're tr- they're trying their best to d- to make the move the best movie that they can as well. Yeah. they're all trying to help, but they might have other experiences. Like there was a um, uh, there was a woman who was really upset by the way by an early version of the way we played the way Mulan's reveal, and um, it just made her really upset and made her really uncomfortable, and and um. Rather than like, oh, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Sanders went and talked to her and sought out why that was. And it altered the way we portrayed it mm-hmm. ultimately. Um, but people, people aren't generally, the thing that you, I've learned to understand is nobody's trying to be, nobody's trying to mess you up. Yeah. They're all doing their own thing. And so you kind of like, if somebody cuts you off in traffic, they're not trying to mess with you. They're just trying to get where they're going. Maybe they're in a hurry. Yeah. So it's like, oh, well, you know, maybe sorry. You know, that type. Of, you, and you tend to let when you start to like try and write, seek those narratives, seek the other side of those narratives rather than like, oh, that guy's an idiot. That guy's a that guy's trying to run me. You know, you you you'll find that you're know, like you will not get angry at 80% of the things, 80 to 90, sometimes 99% of the things that you used to get mad about. And and what's interesting is that now I, I kind of want to spend the rest of my life like going around,
1: sorry, I was such a jerk. Sorry I was, you know. <laughs> You're doing what Chris was doing. I wish I was more giving.
0: I, it's well, I wish I, it's funny because I, I now want to go around, there's like people, there's loads of people who, I don't know how many people listen to this. There's like, I, one day want to sit down with Tony Bancroft and say, I was, I'm really sorry. I was such a hot head on the line. I want to sit down with Barry Cook and say, I'm really sorry. I was such a hot head on the line. I didn't know I was a handful. Things like that, <laughs> things like that. Um, and what's interesting is that now um, nowadays when I'm, you know, I'm on my current show and I'm dealing with younger artists, um, these guys fortunately are not young, not young. They're young, but they're not angry. They're just trying to do the best job they can. Um, And so I'm a lot more, if they're having trouble with something, I'm a lot more patient with them. I'm like, he'll get it. He's just, you know, maybe this, you know, if he forgot this one thing, it's because this, maybe maybe he's, maybe his kids were sick or something. Yeah, I try, you know, those are the types of things I try and, I try and do. And then I also try to like, if I'm frustrated about something, I try and identify what's frustrating me. Why am I frustrated? Are you, a you know, and it, when you start to like sit down and really
1: check in with yourself, go
0: deep and check in, you'll find that a lot of the times you won't be mad. Yeah. And if it's about it, and if it's at somebody else, you'll find that you, you're like, I'm not mad at them anymore. Yeah. I'm not mad at this guy. And, um, it's just kind of it's it's changed a lot of the way but i used to do a comic strip a web comic called chippy and lupus that was about a super angry aggressive rabbit and a really dumb dog dog wolf character i find it's harder to write that comic strip because i no longer identify with a rabbit i used yeah. to be able to channel the rabbit all the time and lately i can't i'm like i'm not that you know i can step outside it and write that character the way a, uh a writer might write the hulk but i can no longer jump in that set that character's head and be that character
1: yeah <laughs> that's a that's a good thing though john i mean there's no. a lot of people that chase what it, i'm i'm i wear a chef coat not a lab coat or or a fucking doctor's coat so ladies and gentlemen take whatever i'm about to say with a grain of salt you see what i did there john that's a that's a cooking joke, grain of, I know,
0: I know. that's pretty good.
1: (laughs) My kid would have called me a loser if he would have heard me say that shit. But um, it sounds like you found peace though, man, is what really what it sounds like. It sounds like you found whatever's making you tick. It's so hard because it's so easy to sit there and say, the reason I'm mad is because of them. The reason I'm mad is because of her reason I'm mad is because of that, this or that very few people can sit there and say, man, I'm the one that's fucked up in this situation. I'm the one. I Like, I look back on it so many times. You ever seen the movie Happy Gilmore? Oh, yeah. So that scene at the beginning of the movie where he's always saying, he was like, man, I was a really angry kid. And it's him hitting the kid in the head with a hammer. And he's like, "I," but I'd always be really, really quick to apologize when I was wrong. And he's at the next two second scene. It's him bringing that same kid. He was hitting in the head with the fake hammer, uh, a piece of cake and, you know, apologizing and rubbing the kid's back. That's what. I do, because as soon as I do something where where my anger gets the best of me, I'm like, fuck, shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have done that, that was stupid, I didn't mean that, I just wanted to say whatever was right there to come out here so everybody else could fucking feel whatever pain I was feeling, right, because the things that cut the worst are generally what's pretty much true, 90% true at least, that's generally what really cuts the deepest. You know, so but with you specifically, man, it sounds like you kind of found peace, man. It sounds, I mean, I don't know you. This is the first time we've actually talked, talked face to face type of thing. We've talked in in Messenger and shit like that before, but man, it sounds like you're on the right path at least, and you're better and happier than you are now. And I'm pretty sure. Do you know how old Tony is compared to you, and how old Barry is? Tony's Tony's my exact same age, and it's one of the reasons why I have a lot of.
0: Um, sympathy and empathy for tony because um i can't imagine being tony being the age i was because tony if tony like i was 26 27 on milan tony was 26 27 on milan directing Mm -hmm. and to be thrown into that position and then have um because the thing what was interesting is when i'm going to jump all over the place when i was when i was given i was uh given the position of director on um home of the range that's the one yes thank you um that's the movie uh you you'll find that like you'll find that like for a it's age i'm 54 and b uh, the older i get adhd also makes things like very normal elusive common words just fly. you can't yeah. you don't know where the and, the and it'll take me an hour to go i'll go and that i literally would could have sat here for 15 minutes and not been able to pull that title if you hadn't <laughs> if you hadn't told me that said um i can't imagine being that old um and and getting that and being dropped into that position and being given that position Do you want to direct this movie well yeah. But when I was asked to take over Home on the Range, um I was 32
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I'd been at Disney um not I didn't been, been there five or six don't I'd, I'd been there six or seven years. I'd done story on two movies and then was head of story on Atlantis. Um so I'd had some movies under my belt, but then they're like, hey, want to direct this one? And What was interesting is that even at that age, I had there were like several people like, "Why the heck are you directing? Who are you? What? Who is this? Who is this Claude? Why is? Why is this? Why do I suddenly have to listen to this kid tell me what to how to do my job?" Um, So I can't imagine. I can. I can. um, Well, I. I can say I can't imagine, but then I. I also can, and I also witnessed a lot of the crap that Tony took on that movie because i was also one of the idiots that was giving it to him and it wasn't right um tony was doing the best he could and the great thing about tony um was that he also was very honest when he you know unlike a lot of people and i've seen a lot of people take that job and then act like they had all the answers Mm -hmm. tony never did that tony was like well what would you you know he's like help us what, yeah. what would you do he was earnest in that he wasn't he wasn't throwing his weight around but he was trying to do a good job and he also when he didn't know something he'd admit it and he'd um he'd defer to chris or he'd defer to um barry but i think i you know i think he did a um i think he did a great job and the
1: first movie out of the gate is milan he got to direct and Mushu too I mean yeah huge when was the last time you got a chance to talk to Tony uh at the Mulan uh 21st uh, anniversary thing at CTN
0: we all got to sit up on a stage in in fancy chairs like this one yeah and um and and ask what and Jerry Beck asked questions oh
1: he's such a great dude yeah dude.
0: for us uh, in front of an audience and uh yeah I got to see both him and Tom uh and barry i got to see barry again barry's a trip barry's a good guy
2: yeah
0: um still doesn't look his age um (laughs) and and uh it was it was good to see everybody um
1: have you gotten to tell tony this
0: no i've never got to sit down with tony and say hey um because back uh, this it was before i'd gone
1: you know i've been
0: on i've been in therapy for uh, the last year and a half thanks to the pandemic um and a lot of the stuff I've just kind of discovered through therapy and through talking and yeah I'd love to sit down with there's a bunch of people I'd love to sit down
1: and talk to and and just tell you know give them props and Tony's one of them Tony's a yeah. good guy well I've, I've actually been talking to both Tom and Tony um I'm hoping they'll come on sometime in June they said they're real busy right now um uh, both of them said they were interested well Tony definitely said he was interested. And I've been talking Tom here and there, but like I said, they're both busy guys. Um, So uh, one second. One thing that I did notice, though, through the pandemic, you just said you were doing therapy through the pandemic. It forced a lot of people to really reshuffle the deck of life. Right. Mm -hmm. I know I did. Told you before why I started the podcast, all of that crazy shit happening. And then I noticed that there wasn't time, right? Kobe Bryant dies at 41 years old. His daughter Mm -hmm. at 12 or 14, 12, I think. Can't remember. Very young is what I'm getting at, right? Whole life in front of her. He still he was still living on he he was not even half of his life, man. Legends, people shouldn't die at 41. People shouldn't die at 12. People shouldn't die as infants or before people. Life is supposed to be long, right? For me, I, I want to see, I'm hoping I'll, I mean a hundred years, right? If we can ever be so lucky to have the thinking that you have right now. So all the shit, right. From your past that you were going through, all of this stuff that you've been forced through isolation, through being at home, through just, like I said, COVID completely shuffled the deck, man. I've only said it once, um, like I said, with the Jorge episode, I talk about that was the first time that was literally two days after my father-in-law passes away. Uh, It was so fucking difficult, right? Because somebody's there and then they're not, right? We always think we have more time than we actually do, right? Mm -hmm. it's, It's life like that. It's all it takes—the fucking blink of an eye—and life is gone. That one person is no longer here. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you have anything that you want to say to somebody, say it now. Uh, don't wait, because one, tomorrow's never promised. The next second's never promised. You never know when your time to go is. So, if you if you learn anything from this podcast, man, really say whatever it is, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. At least. At least you know when they know where you stand, man. And I got to imagine, listening to the Bancroft... I don't know why I keep fucking up their name, right? The Bancroft (laughs) Brothers. Bancroft. It's like one of those tongue twisters, right? The Bancroft. The BC Brothers uh, is one of the coolest podcasts that I've I've heard just on animation. It's phenomenal, right? Listening to how... Not only you, because from a fan's perspective, as far as how movies are made, especially me, I'm a very dumb fan. I, I see something, pretty colors. Oh, the voice acting is great. All oh, this animation, this walk sequence, this is so cool. This shot is just so fucking cool, right? But seeing how you guys and gals look at something and then interpret that and then make it your own, whether it's for the visualization, the art direction, the writing, the stories, the animation, the this, the that. I love seeing how you guys take something like a story about a pen but you add character and depth to this pen, right? So it's, it's a weird way of saying what you guys do, I guess is a real, real, real weird example, I guess. Um, but it, it's crazy to see how you guys do it. But listening to them talk, man, and listening to you talk on how you see a movie or how you see a character on, when we were talking earlier on Milan, you didn't want to make her seem like she was good at being a guy because she wasn't very good at being a girl at that point in time or what people thought a girl right. should be during that, that time frame you put me in that position at 26 years old man that that Mulan movie is going to suck because I would just like I don't know make them fight make the dragon say Mm -hmm. some funny stuff you know what I mean so it's just interesting to see it at such a young age what you guys and gals come up with man you guys are phenomenal for 26 being on your second movie dude you guys absolutely crushed That movie. It was a beautiful movie, man. So uh, hats off to you. And like I said, thank you for getting like I said, try not to get super personal with you guys. But when something like that, depression, suicide, anger, you know, some of the stuff that life throws at us comes up. I don't want to cut it off, cut the water off too soon, because there's so many people that listen to this. I have so many fans that are on the autism spectrum that have Down syndrome, so many fans that are in the industry from writers to some of the executives that I've had on love my show when they tell me like, oh, man, I'm, I'm so happy you got this person. I love this person and hearing some like Linda Szymanski told me she's like, I've known some of these people you've had on here 30 plus years and I haven't heard the stories that I've heard them say, and he's she's like, I work with them every day, and I have not heard these stories. You talk to them for twenty minutes, and they're it's like they're sitting on a couch with you, like you're you're conducting somebody's uh, right. somebody's therapy session. So it's she's like, it's crazy to see what you get out of some of these people. So whenever something like that comes up, where it's like real life shit, I really like to explore it because people get a lot of information from this podcast. Whether it's tips and tricks, whether it's how they should handle something, or it's how they look at something. So it's always nice to see when real real life shit happens. and I keep hitting this thing. I apologize. Real life shit happens and we can explore it and we can talk about it, even though this is an animation pop culture podcast. It's life really at the end of the day, John. So thank you for, for getting personal with us. I really appreciate it. No problem,
0: no problem at all.
1: Thank you. And, yeah. uh, you know, I know we've hit about that hour mark. How are you looking on time? Are you okay? I don't want to put you in a, in a negative light, but,
0: uh, I, my i know my uh, we can probably go for another 20. I, my wife my my lovely wife wants to go to dinner and then we're going to oh. go um at we've discovered a love of ice skating yeah and yeah we I, yeah just started ice skating we go to the pick either pickwick over here in burbank or there's a place we drive all the way to valencia and we uh, skate i've got a pair we got we just skate around or we We've um just and it feels like elementary school, but uh we there's a roller rink, and we roller skate yeah. at the same time, and I tell you, man, uh for someone in in my age bracket, there's no better exercise than
1: yeah.
0: skating around a rink for an hour, two hours, three hours you'll you know i I never was in the military, so I don't know what that feels like, but um miserable <laughs> yeah, that's what I, that's what i figure i've got I've got a history of heart disease in my family, so um. The, i read that it's skating's good for your core it's good for your it's a it's believe it or not an all-body exercise yeah. and it's not you know i've done the thing where i've lifted you know i've gone to the gym and lifted and i got i did one workout where, where i could i got to the point where i could squat 360 wow, that's and good. um yeah and i'm i can't do that anymore but <laughs> it's so boring It's so boring, but if you if you're like skating with your me and my wife just skate around to dumb disco songs, and it's like, man, it's like 1978
1: all over again. Tell me me you're wearing bell bottoms. Are you are you bringing out the uh, no? I... Um, ah, John Travolta. That's I couldn't think of his name. Oh no no. Um, I never I
0: never I was not a bell bottoms guy, but um, we do. Like, what's funny is we do. There's one of these days I'm either going to make a documentary or a comic book about the, scu- the culture that happens within a skating rink because characters appear. There's like, and what I've noticed is that Sarah's like, my, my wife Sarah goes, it's like a party. It's like yeah. going to a party. So like she'll dress up and she'll put on an outfit for skating and I'm like, you're wearing that? You're wearing, okay, I'm going to, I'll go to my closet and find something that coordinates with her so that people know we're together. That's cool. And- <laughs> It's it's silly and crazy and and uh, but
2: yeah that's
1: that's what we're probably gonna do tonight is either go to the ice skating rink or we're gonna go to the roller rink again. That's cool, man. That's what makes marriages last. I've been married this yeah. year. I gotta do the count because I know I was about to say it's fourteen, but no, we've been together fifteen. We've been married for thirteen this year. Hey, that's uh, great congratulations. Two, thank you, I appreciate it. In two weeks, we'll be married for thirteen years. Greatest person, like I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be with anybody else, man. It's, she's so fun. Uh, I'm pretty sure on the other side I I know I drive her up the fucking wall uh because that's the whole reason I started this podcast she's like will you stop talking about cartoons you literally have a podcast talk to the people about cartoons I'm so tired of hearing about this actor doing this or this voice or this animator doing this and I was like okay And then she brings up Grey's Anatomy. I'm like, will you start a podcast about something? I don't want to hear Grey's Anatomy. It never really works in my favor when I try to flip it back around on her because she's way too smart for that. She's way too smart than me. Uh, But that's what keeps the marriage good, man. You guys do stuff together and you do stuff that's fun, man. So I love hearing that type of shit. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're looking uh, for something to do, John's a big proponent on ice skating and roller skating, ran really keeps shit fresh and keeps stuff fun good workout too um so as we start to wind down here man we got some fans questions did you have fun by the way i, I know we talked a little bit crazy i don't know what you're expecting when you're coming on here i never know what i'm gonna expect and what we're gonna get this, and what we're gonna talk about fun, this is a fun
0: talk i feel like i feel like we should do a i'd be open to doing
1: a part two just so we could get to some
0: to do to nitty-gritty on other some of the other movies but um I would just love to I about my my mental nonsense for a good 20 <laughs> minutes so uh yeah anytime you want to have you, you want to do more i'm i'm open and willing in talking about beautiful. comics talking about whatever
1: beautiful so, I, yeah. i'd love to do that for a part two um so what we'll do is i'll uh, i'll reach back out and see what your schedule is and and a june july time frame and we'll do another part two man uh because i've had a lot of fun like i said we've explored some really really cool shit um and we can re- redo some stuff. So whenever I do these things, I never write stuff down. And I told you this is the first time I've actually written stuff down. Um, so when I was looking at Mulan, and I don't know if you'll be able to answer this, but you work on the movie, so you might be able to. Um, I saw something that was like one of those rumor type of things on IMDb. Apparently, Mushu uh, was hinted towards like they wanted to see something like a Mushu by Roy Disney. Is there any weight to that? Did Roy Disney say, hey, man, I'd like to see something like Mushu in this? No. Not
0: um, <laughs> to, sure. to put not to put too fine, fine a point on it. Um, when you make these movies, there's always going to be like back then when you develop something like this, you look for, um, and maybe 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 Tony will put oh, no, that, that's he's completely wrong about this. But I know that um, you look for the animated elements. So if you've got human characters in your movies, the first thing they do is like. Uh, Can we put, can we animate those little food dogs, you know, can you, can you animate? So initially um, the first thing that um, the first thing they had in Mulan, the first sidekicks in Mulan um, were, there was a dragon and a phoenix Mm -hmm. and um, they argued all the time. They talked to each other. And so Mulan, so they, it was two characters that went with Mulan because in other movies there was like in Little Mermaid, you got Flounder and Sebastian and being in Dean and the Beast, you got um, you got like four or five of those little critters. You know, you got the teapot, you got earth
1: uh, so uh, and I can't remember Hogwarts in the
0: air. Year. You even got yeah. the feather duster. Um, so it seemed you know that it was natural to just populate your movie with these little these little sidekicks. Um, the big problem with the dragon and the phoenix characters is that uh, is that. Um, Mulan would wind up just sitting and watching them argue. Yeah, they, They'd start going at each other. And when they, you took one of them out, it was a thing between Mulan and Mushu. And then we reluctantly added the cricket back in because Joe Grant, God bless him, um, who was the character designer, story man, and director of Dumbo, for crying out loud, yeah. was at the studio at the time in his in his, in his 80s. But he was... He would, I think you're missing the bed without this cricket. And we, he kept pushing the cricket on us. And we were like, no, we don't, we don't want to play cricket. We got enough to worry about with Mushu." And so they forced us to put the cricket in. So the way we found to use the cricket was, um, and I'm not answering your question at all, but I found- Oh, no, you're perfectly fine. More, it's a yeah. funny thing. Um, we are like, okay, we'll put the cricket in. What's great about the cricket is he's little and he's cute and he's earnest. Mm-hmm. and he doesn't talk um mushu can talk to him mushu can sound out his ideas with this old guy so it's someplace for exposition to go to um but also because the because the cricket's so cute and he's it allows mushu to be even worse because mushu was a new kind of sidekick for us in that he had an agenda that wasn't exactly on the up and up he was trying to He was using Mulan to get what he wanted and he was lying the entire time. So he wasn't, he was not a nice traditional, nice character. He's a con man. Mm -hmm. He's a phony. And the fact that like, he's got this little dude that's like supporting everything he does kind of helps him It kind of, it's the sugar that helps the medicine go down. So to speak. So that's why we like that's that was how that little pairing came up with came out is we we were you know and of course there's like they're like well what is it? It's like it's R2 and C3 that that's the pairing. It's like this one doesn't this one talks and chirps. This one this one hears English and interprets it for the audience. All sorts of fun stuff to be had there. So but it wasn't I don't believe it was Roy Disney that said you need a you need a shine cake. That's my bad Roy Disney impression.
1: That's the first one I on used
0: to do, on here. I used to do a better one. I used to, I used to be able. I I, I, I don't like hearing the word but... You know, I used to be able to just because I used to hear. I he was so much fun to sit and talk and and then Steve Steve Anderson did an impression of Roy and then I developed one. Um, and because it was you know he's it's fun to. I, I'm from Denver, Colorado, and so you hear. He's from, Roy being from Kansas, you hear that accent all the time. And I'm like, I know that accent. I know people who talk like that. And then you kind of add that smoker's voice and uh, you kind of, I don't, I don't want to see any of that in our movies, you know, that kind of, you kind of just, and then you just slow it down. Plus he was so, I loved Roy. I loved Roy and I loved Dallas. They were such nice people. They're like your grandparents and they were really sweet.
1: <laughs> so, Tom, Tom said Roy was his favorite billionaire. <laughs> Tom Sito. Yeah,
0: I would, I would, I would agree. I would agree. They're, um, they're, um, Roy was a sweet guy. You know, I never met anybody. And part of it, what, that's the interesting thing is I think he grew up while all of that was kind of growing up around him. So he wasn't born with like a billion dollars in the bank. He was born, I think, I think he was born with a dad uh, just tearing his hair out because his crazy brother was trying to, was, constantly trying to make the company go broke with his wild ideas i think that's the that was the reality is <laughs> ah your crazy uncle is gonna sink us with these dumb ideas he wants to build a theme park can you believe this now we have to buy all these orange groves and build a theme park
1: and now it's you know, the most recognizable yeah. character in the world next to exactly. batman superman and coca-cola
0: exactly so it's that's i think that's one of the reasons why he's so he was so affable is he didn't grow up with that money in the bank he grew up while that money
1: was growing while the
0: bank was while the yeah while the money was growing but somebody kept
1: spending it at this 100 yeah. <laughs> percent, man we got a couple yeah. more minutes here uh can you do me a favor the next time you come on? Can you work on your Roy Disney accent? I'd love to. I'm gonna go watch some Roy Disney interviews, and I want to hear John Sanford if he's got some time to practice. Figure a couple yeah, of weeks might yeah. might get it. I used try. to be
0: able. Yeah, I used to do it all the time, but yeah, I'll. I'll there was a one. There was one I did where, uh, and I'll I'll do it next time. I'll just describe this. set. We were we were at a um um we were doing a, um, a screening in of home on the range, in I think it was Laverne, California. We were at a mall and um, Bed Bath & Beyond was there. And so we're outside talking to Roy and Patty and Patty goes, oh, Roy, they've got glass. I I, I want to go see if they've got some glasses I want to get. Okay, you go ahead. And um, they, it was hilarious to watch like Patty come out and Roy, her and Roy kind of bicker for a second on just whether or not they should buy these glasses. At, at, yeah. Bed bath and beyond because and Roy describing why they needed the glasses because <laughs> because the kids kept breaking them and stuff like that and yeah so I used to have a little do a little bit for people that they thought was hilarious just Roy like telling because she went I think we should get them and he's like I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it but yeah it's it was cute yeah so cute but these two these two people like Roy had a Ferrari and has yachts <laughs> and yet. Because Bed Bath & Beyond has a sale on a case of glasses that Ro- Patty thinks is cute, she wants to go get them. And it's just like, there's nothing more relatable than that. Yeah. It's the fact that like, and then he doesn't want to go get them because you'd have to carry them through the mall to this, he's got a screening. So that's what I love. That's the thing I always, that's the story that always comes to mind when people ask me what it was like, it's like, it's, it, he's like your grandparents. Yeah. And who who has he has a billion dollars but doesn't remember he has a billion dollars
1: yeah man what a problem to have you know what i mean I, i've not i've heard yeah. nothing but great st- uh, stories about roy um two questions and then uh and then we'll wrap it up uh the first one i, I pre-gamed you a little bit if you had a mount rushmore plus one uh who's on your mm-hmm. mount rushmore of animators when it comes to influence for you in your career
0: uh, I, I have to include cartoonists um, okay. in, in with this. Um, Charles Schultz was the reason I wanted to be a cartoonist. Uh, so he's one. Walt Kelly, who uh, you may not know, you might have to Google. Um, he did a comic strip called Pogo.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, when, you see Walt, when you see Walt Kelly's drawings, you'll know, you'll, and then you look at my drawings online, you'll go, oh, that's who he's ripping off. <laughs> um, and badly um, Walt, Walt Kelly made me want, want to draw and maybe want to work at Disney because Walt, Walt, Walt Kelly was a cartoonist he did a comic strip called Pogo but before all that he was an animator at Disney mm-hmm. and he worked on Dumbo and he worked on a bunch of di- different things um, so it's Walt Kelly um, uh, Charles, Charles Schultz. Schultz and then um, I always have to, I. it gets a little more difficult but Chuck Jones and um chuck jones is there because chuck jones was the his cartoons his war brothers cartoons specifically were the first cartoons i remember um seeing the name charles m jones and then going oh my god that was an amazing cartoon Mm -hmm. and just those are the cartoons i i reference in my head because they were not only hilarious but chuck also went for um nuanced emotions that not not all the other guys did you know like plant that stuff was great but um chuck will go for you know pathos and real pain like just that 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 scene of the bulldog crying because he thinks that the kitty's been ground up and made into cookies in feed the kitty nobody nobody did a scene like none of those other guys ever attempted anything like that and made it sweet and also funny so Chuck is there so that's three Mm -hmm. and the fourth one um gets a little difficult and the one the the one that's jumping into my brain and it's going to take a while to i'll explain it as briefly as i can but edward van halen (laughs) (laughs) is my number four um because, and I play, I play guitar a little bit, um, and I've I've struggled with guitar all my life, but um, I remember being a teenager, and seeing, um, and seeing the jump video, and I didn't know, um, Cable came to Denver very late, so I didn't see a lot of Van Halen, all I knew about Van Halen was, um, I think a friend of mine had the Diver Down cassette, and he played a little bit of it for us, and I thought that's pretty good. That's pretty awesome. But then um, I saw um, the jump video, and it's kind of this crazy video. Um, and you know, David Lee Roth's up in the camera. I'm like, I'm like, that guy's pretty wild. And then the guitar play. They you know they cut to him and Eddie just goes, just one second, and then just lays out this blistering solo and the entire time you know what what I was used to seeing when I'd see watch guitar players is guys pulling faces and seem to see like like seem to seem to struggle (laughs) with it and seeming and and Eddie's just
1: having a good time
0: is this is fun. I'm having fun. I'm having fun playing this. Do you like what I'm doing? I don't care. I'm having fun anyway. Um, that that kind of affable attitude that he had playing, and just a sense of fun. And um, once I once I started listening to the music, and once I started um, trying to like analyzing the songs and trying to play them, there is he. First of all, he's one of the best rhythm players. In the, in the history of rock and roll, you know, you can put him up next to Pete Townsend and all these others. Just rhythm and writing riffs, writing unique riffs um, and song structure. It, there's almost no one better. You know, I'd put him. I'd put him up with Lennon McCartney
2: mm-hmm.
0: as far as like stru- great song structure um, and memorable song structure. You can hum his riffs. You can't do that with a lot of um, with a lot of uh, rock players. Um, so there's that, so there's that. It's also the um the melodic quality of what he does um in his in his in his solos and in his um, and in his playing, but also just you'll never hear um, if you especially if you if you take out that second album, um they're a hard rocking band and yet they've got a song like um um dance the night away that can you you know that's not it's in a it's a beautiful song and the 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 influences that made that song what it is it's him just bringing all this stuff in and just kind of letting it pass through It's it's the it's the it's the um when i when I hear when I when I listen to the music when I hear the hear him talk about guitar playing and when I hear him talk about why he likes things a certain way it's a it's a mode of thinking I've tried to apply to drawing mm-hmm. and I've tried to apply to writing and I've tried to apply to like how I approach editing scenes and movie making it's like it's all it's about like it's stripping away what's not there and yet also adding things in that aren't aren't expected in doing things that aren't necessarily going to be the expected way, but that are meaningful. You know, there's, um, I think there's a lot to be learned in in just finding, I've always been, I've been one to like look for things that inspire you to do art. You know, it can come from anywhere. If you're a cartoonist, um you don't necessarily have to just take expi- take inspiration from cartoons although i have um i think it's interesting to look at other things and look at other mediums like my friend rad seacrest who um was the creator of keep and the Keepo and the wonder beasts on netflix was talking about how his approach to character design was influenced by stevie williams the skateboarder how stevie williams skateboards yeah and i went that's amazing I, I'm totally down with that. And I was like, I was just thinking that's kind of, you know, because I've always had that approach with thinking about how Van Halen, how he approached a song, how he approached recording a song, how he approached how he does things. And um, so that's my, those are my four. If I had to add a fifth, um, I'd say Harvey Kurtzman. Yeah. He's the honorable mention. Um, Not just for creating Mad, but he's got a couple of There's if you if you seek out there's a kitchen sink comics did a collection of his hey look comics that were just one pagers he would do in the back of these humor cartoons uh, humor magazines or humor uh, uh, funny animal comics and they're brilliant textbook Mm. cartooning they're so good and it's like this little slim volume and if you go on ebay those things sell for like four or five hundred dollars now
2: yeah
0: um they need to reprint that book but the other one is his jungle book which was this weird little paperback he did for valentine books in the 50s or 60s and it's four or five little just little stories that were little riffs on little ideas he had but but they're it's just brilliant they're just brilliant, fun comics, and um, super big influence on on me and how I think.
1: Beautiful. And last question: We talked. You just talked books, and you brought up one. I'm pretty sure you'll put on there. Uh, if you had two books to tell every animator to go and pick up, what are those two books?
0: Uh, I'm gonna have to. And this is. It's right here next to my.
1: Uh, I'm so glad you desk. One up. it's, such yeah, a it's right there.
0: Book. Yeah, that one, when I, um, I got that book when, when I was 14 or 15, the local mall, one of the local malls in Denver, University Hills Mall, there was a fire and the bookstore didn't catch fire, but the fire department had to go through the bookstore to get to the fire. So they stomped on a bunch of books and the smoke went through the books and made this books all smell like smoke. So. The bookstore had to sell all their books at half half price and thirty percent off. So I got the illusion of life, and it's oh, there's this is a new copy, but yeah. my copy,
1: That's the copy my yeah. original
0: copy, yeah. is still over there on that shelf, and it still smells like smoke. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, it still smells like smoke, and it's still in it, and the binding is broken because the fireman just stomped I'm on his it. Is way into the. Is uh, the footprint the still there?
1: Pardon? Is the footprint still there?
0: No, um, the. It had a it had a dust jacket that okay. was torn, and that's how I figured that's how it got torn, is it looks like somebody had stepped on it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's one book. Um, it's hard to come up with another one, um, but another book. What is the other book every animation person should read? Um,
1: you want to save it for the part two. We'll keep them. We'll we'll end it on a cliff. Yeah.
0: I'll save it for the part two. I like comics, so oh, um, the Smithsonian Book of um, Comic Strip Comics. Okay. It's a big collection of just comics um, from going all the way back to the um, early part of the 20th century, and that's where I that's where I first was able to read Seagars uh, Popeye because they had a full adventure of Popeye in that book. They had. a a full Dick Tracy adventure in there. They had a serial license trips. It's the first time I saw um, Crazy Cat in a significant way. And they had an entire Floyd Gottfriedson's Mickey adventure. Um, And it was the first time I'd seen Mickey the mickey's the mickey comics trip and read it and went wow this is amazing this is so good the storytelling is so good the cartooning is so good so those are the two those are my two books i can't tell you that they, they that everybody should have those but those were the books that i through in for, I, I draw inspiration from and still and drew inspiration from back then
1: that's, that's beautiful up. that's a beautiful way to end this too man he's been john i've been julian This has been a what's in my head podcast and this has been another piece of your childhood good night great
3: I just, you know, taking what Brad uh, had in mind, you know, he was just saying, well, you know, it's like 50s, 60s, it's you know, the superhero thing. Uh, and yeah, the, the fact that, you know, they've all had to go underground and, this, you know, he kind of had the basic idea figured out, but there was no script yet. So like we spent almost a year doing stuff, and then of course as we got going, we accrued more people, and uh, you know from the, from the, from Pixar, and you know, got the team going. But at, as I said, for the first year or so, I mean we were just kind of like pumping out ideas. Really, it, it was all pre-production. You know, pre-production, then moving into, let's say, well, what would you say, maybe uh concept art, blue sky stuff, moving into pre production and moving into production. Yeah. And so you know, I was there for most people. Yeah. so I, I ended up not being with the show for about the last year, but uh I was I I did a ton of work on that. That's I-